So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose on the other end of the Skype line. And Shane, you have a, you got another guest for us again this week. Would you mind introducing your guest, please? No problem, John. So we're delighted this morning to welcome Father Brendan Coffey. Good morning, Father Brendan. How are you keeping? Good morning, Shane. I'm very well, and thank you for inviting me to, to talk with you. Thanks very much. Now, what people probably didn't realize, what, what may not realize, is Father Brendan is the abbot of uh, Glenstall Monastery, our local uh, Benedictine uh, community in East Limerick, in Maru. So we asked him on this morning um, to share with us, I suppose, what it is, I suppose, Benedictines bring to modern Ireland today. And to share with us, uh, I suppose, uh, what it is, I suppose, to be a Benedictine in the modern world. But I suppose, Brendan, um, that kind of brings us around to the very first question. Maybe for people who might not be familiar with the community, except maybe through the CDs or whichever, um, who are the Benedictines? Well, the simplest way to answer that question is to say that Benedictines are monks who follow the rule of St. Benedict. Mm. Um, St. Benedict was uh, born in the year 480 um, in Norcia. So a very, very long time ago, and he died in 547. So he lived mostly in the 6th century. Um, now, people may have heard of Norcia because a few years ago, uh, it's in Italy, a few years ago there was a, a very bad earthquake there, and it was on the news a lot at the time. So the, the name might be familiar. But Benedict, um, as a young man, went to Rome, and he was very disillusioned by what he saw there as a student. And so he went out into the wilderness in a place called Subiaco, and he lived as a hermit for a while. And then eventually a small community formed around him, and as he became more and more famous, it grew. And there were, in the end, 12 small monasteries of monks in that little valley. And... He ran into various difficulties there um, with uh, some of the local clergy, um, largely through jealousy and so on. And he decided that the easiest thing for him to do was to move. So he went south and eventually settled in a place called Monte Cassino, where he built his final monastery on the top of that mountain. Mm -hmm. And that's where he wrote his rule. Okay. So Benedictines basically are monks who follow this rule that Benedict wrote towards the end of his life. Okay, so in terms of, so the rule, the rule kind of, what is the rule? You know, um, what, what, what does it entail? What does it cover? Uh, and, you know, a document that was written almost 1,500 years ago, you know, mm. you, still, you still use it today? Yes, very much so. Um, the rule covers basically everything um, that uh, you need for a group of people, either men or women, to live together in uh, a certain uh, kind of monastic way of life. Mm -hmm. So it covers all sorts of ordinary things. Um, it covers things like the times that you eat. It covers um, how people uh, should relate to one another. It covers what jobs people should be assigned in the monastery. It covers the rhythm of life within the day. Um, and it, it gives lots of practical advice about how to deal with very ordinary issues. Mm. So it's, it's not just, um, uh, it's not really a document that's highly intellectual 
are even um, on the face of it uh, a great spiritual document, it's really very, very practical. He was a very practical sort of person. And as he wrote it near the end of his life, mm-hmm. um, it contained what he had learned over the course of his life. Because mm. like everybody else, he'd made mistakes. So mm. he found out what worked and what didn't work. And at the time, there were lots of different rules like this. Um, but because the rule that Benedict wrote was so wise, it has stood the test of time. And where the others have kind of uh, fallen away, Mm-hmm. This one has been adopted almost universally. He didn't write it with the intention of it becoming a rule that everybody in the West was going to follow. He he just wrote it for his own community. Mm-hmm. But what has actually happened is that uh, practically all monks of the Western Church follow this rule oh. uh, right down to today. Okay, even if they're not, if you like, members, directly members of the Benedictine community. Yes, for example, Cistercians, Trappists, uh, also follow the rule of St. Benedict. And in that sense, they too were Benedictine. Um, And versions of it um, lie at the basis of uh, the rules that uh, lots of other religious orders um, uh, use. So its its influence has been enormous. Mm. and in terms of you know you you know, as 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 a Benedictine as a monk yourself as the abbot as the leader of your community, you know obviously and you know having lived the the rule for the for the many years you've been in community, do you think that the rule offers something to lay people in the outside world? Um, yes, um, we find that there's certain sort of underlying values. Mm. Um, that are of use to people um, regardless of your choice in life. So obviously the rule is designed for people who are living monastic life, which Mm -hmm. is a very particular type of life, and 99% of the population um, don't live a monastic life, and (laughs) that has been the case right throughout history. Um, (coughs) Nuns leading monastic life have always been a tiny fraction of the population. It's, 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 it's not something for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sort of the, the underlying um, values that the rule contains can be used by anybody. So, for example, um, St. Benedict is very strong um, on the uh, principle that you should never make a decision, an important decision about anything, without first taking advice. So he gives this as a kind of a principle to the abbot, but it also applies to everybody else in the community, that if you're going to make a decision, you should first go and take advice. Um, And his his, uh, basic uh, idea is that if you do everything with advice, you won't regret it afterwards. You'd be more likely to make the right uh, choice. So that's one thing. Um, He's also very strong in the rule of taking care of people at both ends of life, so the very young and the elderly. Mm. And that was unusual, particularly for his um, uh, time, that somebody would um, place such emphasis on the young and the old because they were not regarded as being terribly important um, back in the 6th century. Um, But in his rule, they get very special um, attention. And that's something 
that uh, we can uh, learn from today too that uh, people at both ends of life, the very young and the elderly, are two categories that need um, special care, not only from the point of view of their physical needs, but also that they, they, they need to have their say in um, uh, our society, how things work. Just because somebody is very young or very old doesn't mean that they can't have a good idea, for example. Mm. <laughs> so so, so this, is, this is very much uh, uh, another of his underlying principles. But the main thing the rule is noted for is balance and moderation, that a life should be balanced and that everything should be done in moderation. He was opposed to excesses. So he wouldn't have been into um, monks becoming workaholics. He would have mm. seen that as being bad, um, that you shouldn't do anything to excess, that uh, the secret to um, uh, a successful life and a happy life is moderation and balance. And another thing then would be his idea of obedience, um, obedience not only to the abbot, the superior, but his idea of obedience is that the monks should be obedient to one another. And by that he meant um, the word obedience comes from a, a Latin word, obodire, which means to listen to. So in other words, what he's saying is that people should listen to one another. And there's a difference between hearing what someone is saying and actually mm. listening to it. So by listening to other people, in other words, by becoming aware of the fact that there are other people, that I'm not the center of the universe, trying to understand other people, that if we approach life in that way, and if we approach uh, the people that we live with every day or work with every day in that way, that we try to understand them, uh, that it avoids a lot of unnecessary hassle and conflict. So mm -hmm. sort of all these different things are things that anybody can put into practice. I, I Very much so. I, I was just thinking that, you know, in terms of um, looking at, you know, the, one, some of the contributions of, of, a, of a monastic community to the wider world, you know, there's, there's a lot of, if you like, uh, common sense. And and yeah. uh, in what in what you you know in what you said, you know, um, moderation, listening to community, listening in community, seeking advice. You know, you just looking around the world with us around us today, you'd be kind of thinking to yourself, mm, maybe some people that we see, particularly in the media, might want to take some of it on board. But <laughs> you know, it just 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 looking at it like. But you said at, at the start that you know the community, the Benedictine community, is a monk living under the rules. So I suppose that brings us to the other part of it. People might be a bit confused. Um, you know, someone actually said to me today she was when she was talking in the context of uh, uh, re female religious, and she said, mm -hmm. "I'm no longer sure what's the difference between a nun and a sister." So I'm going to put it to you: What's the difference between a monk, a friar, and a priest? <laughs> okay, well. Um, we started. We started the last one. Right. <laughs> I think most people know what a priest is. Uh -huh. um, a priest is somebody who's ordained to the priesthood, mm. um, and that uh, that person can be um, can be any of the other categories you mentioned. So right. you have like like people's uh, diocesan clergy, parish mm -hmm. clergy, uh, are are not monks or religious of any description. They're, they're okay. secular clergy, but they are priests. So whether someone is a priest or not a priest is, is one thing. 
um, and any of the other categories, you can have people who are who are um, priests or who are not priests. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between a monk, a friar, <laughs> and um, what was the other one you said? A nun. No, no, the monk, a friar, uh, the priest was the three. We'll, we'll stay. Let's okay. stay with the one. Let's stay with the one gender. Let's not confuse. Okay. The yes. Okay. So, so the, the the difference between a monk and a friar. Um, a friar is a mendicant. Mm. Um, a mendicant means uh, so you have different types of friars. So the, the ones people would be most familiar with um, uh, in this part of the world certainly would be Franciscans, Dominicans, um, Augustinians. Uh, they're friars. So mm. friars are what are uh, what we call mendicants. So mendicants, um, they they all more or less developed around the. 13th century. Um, so you have St. Francis, St. Dominic. Um, that was basically their period in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was that they were a form of religious life um, which wasn't uh, linked to uh, one particular spot. In other words, mm-hmm. they, they moved around and they were also uh, a group that embraced Poverty, so they didn't own property, um, and they survived on basically charity handouts um, from people. So they were wandering preachers, essentially. Mm-hmm. So friars are basically that, that's basically what originally a mendicant um, was. Whereas a monk was a very different thing. Mm. A monk is very tied to one spot. Mm. Um, so you don't just join an order when you become a monk you join an actual abbey, a monastery, and you always belong to that same community. So even if you're somewhere else for a while, say, to do your studies or for whatever reason, you still only belong to the community that you joined. Okay. So uh, monks, whether they be Cistercians or Benedictines, monks um, don't move around like other religious Mm. You always belong to the house you join, um, except like for a family. rare. Yes, exactly. Mm. So, okay. so it's it's not just a question of wanting to be uh, a monk. It's a question of wanting to be a monk in a particular place. Oh, so, okay. And, so does... and monks lead a very ordered life, mm. which uh, is regulated, as I said, by the rules. So there's very regular periods during the day where the community goes to the church to pray together. Mm. A mendicant leads a freer sort of existence. Okay. Uh, and they're not as tied to that monastic rhythm, which frees them to do uh, preaching and teaching if you're Dominican. Um, mm-hmm. And it frees them up to be more, uh, to have more of a pastoral outreach. Um, whereas the monk in the monastery is uh, more tied to a very particular kind of life in the monastery. If that explains the difference to you. I, I, I hope it does for our listeners. And I've got, it kind of leads me on to my next question, which are kind of, which are kind of interlinked. I mm-hmm. suppose some people would say, looking at the world around us today, and, I, and, and I've, I've had people, you know, people who, are, who would be, you know, well, well in tune with their religion and, or their faith, mm-hmm. and they turn around and they say to me, well, you know, when you look at those all those enclosed orders, you know, or the the, 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 the the people in those monasteries, would they not be better off helping the poor out in the streets, like you know, Mother Teresa? Like, you know, what's the point of a, what's the point of a monk? 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> even, even, though, even, the way, uh, even the way you ask it, what's the point of a monk? Mm. Um, if, if you were to ask, what's the point of anybody? What's mm. the point of... You see, I think, I think today people mix up function and meaning. Um, that if you ask somebody today, um, who are you? They'll say, oh, I'm a teacher, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a pilot, or whatever it is. Um, but that's not who they are. That's what they do. Mm. And there's a difference. Okay. Um, and a monk is not about a function. So if I was to be very uh, smart, I could answer your question, what's the point of a monk? I could say there's no point. Okay. Which a, is monk a, does, a monk doesn't have a function. Mm. Um, a monk has, has, a, has, a, has a meaning. Um, in the same way that a mother or a father has a meaning, that a family has a meaning. Um, if you really wanted to tell me who you were, if somebody asked you, who are you? Then you'd say, I'm somebody who's married to whatever, uh, with three children, and then I happen to be a nurse, or I happen to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but one is what you do, the other is who you are. And monastic life, being a monk, is who you are. And then each monk has a job as well. So some of the monks in our community are teachers, some work in administration, some um, work in the monastery itself, in the kitchen, um, in the library, some work with the guests in the retreat house. So that's their job. Mm. But who they are is a monk. So I'd make a distinction between those two things mm -hmm. because I don't think they're the same. And but the, the, the other side to the question you were asking is why don't, um, wouldn't it be better mm -hmm. if we kind of left the monastery? And went, well, um, that's one way of looking at it, but the, 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 I suppose the real, the real question is this. Um, monastic life, if you feel that it is something which has value in itself, which obviously people who are monks and nuns too, um, <laughs> uh -huh. then you become a monk because you want to lead a monastic life. Mm. And it has always been the case um, in Christianity, as in almost every other world religion, that there are always two um, parts to the church. Mm. There's always an active part and there's also a contemplative part. And it's been like this from the very beginnings. And you find the same sort of thing in other religions. Um, and that the one, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that the two are necessary. Because it, yeah. if, I suppose monastic life is there to remind people um, of what is actually at the core of life. It's, it's about the questions, I suppose the big questions of life, um, that sometimes get lost in all the noise. 
Mm. Um, and monastic life is not a selfish thing. It's not, uh, monasteries are not closed in on themselves. Um, monasteries are usually full of people who come to stay for a while, who come on retreats, who come for day visits, who come to share in the liturgy, um, precisely because there's something that uh, they feel a connection with, that they see is a value. Mm. And um, the church needs both. And it would be a mistake, I think, to plunder one in order to shore up the other. Mm. Because both are necessary. And kind both of have a, always been present. Mm. There's, there's two analogies that strike me about, of course. There's that grace one that John Paul II used, but he was referring, of course, to the, the, the unity of the churches, breathing with both lungs. Uh, yeah. But as, yeah, but there's also, I suppose, the, uh, the the great analogy from the gospel, of course, which is the Mary and Martha uh, Mary, analogy that's yeah. used. Unfortunately, Father Brendan, we're caught with time this morning, and there was there was there's uh, we'll have to bring you back on again because there were <laughs> other things there were other things I wanted to take go through this morning um, and and just to, to kind of to share with our listeners uh, in relation to um, you know Benedictine life and spirituality. But I suppose the last question I'll put to you this morning. Mm-hmm. is, you know, we, at the moment, we live in a very turbulent world and uh, things are all over the place, if you like. Mm. What would you think, what is the, what, if you like, what is the gift that the world, if, that Ireland today could take from a monastic community? Okay. Well, I think that in the world today, monasteries are actually among the most important places. Because, as you say, there are so many people whose lives are touched by sadness, disappointment, failure, struggle, loss, uh, woundedness. And what a monastery offers is very simple. It's a warm welcome, whoever you are and whatever your story in life is. And what we say to people is, come and be with us and find healing in the word of God that we offer. And that's what a monastery is and does. It's a place where people can come and really listen to the word of God and take from that what they need to hear at that moment in their life. Mm. That's, that's what it's about. Oasis of calm in the midst of a troubled world, one would say. That's what it's supposed to be. Yes. <laughs> so now, why do I get the feeling that, the, as Abbas, you could have many stories to tell us about community life? <laughs> well, people are people, whether they're monks or not. Indeed, indeed. But it doesn't change. It doesn't change the the. It doesn't change the fact that mm. um, it is also true that in this monastery, as in every monastery. Um, <clears throat> What lies at the heart is exactly that, that the, the word of God is there mm. and it's shared and it's open and there are no strings attached. And that's, that's the gift that a monastery gives to the world. Father Brendan, listen, thank you so much for coming on to share that with us this morning. And as I said, we had many other things we wanted to discuss with you. We'll have to bring you on again, but thank you for sharing with that with us this morning. Okay. So in this part of the program now, we might just play a bit of music. And the piece of music they've chosen this morning um, is actually sung by the monks of Glenstall. And this one's entitled Benedictus.
Sıla Sedesi. Your Lord, your Lord.